Grand Canyon, where hidden forces shape our ideas, beliefs, and experiences. And experiences. Join us as we uncover the stories between the canyon's colorful walls. Probe the depths and add your voice. Add your voice for what happens, what happens next. next at Grand Canyon. At Grand Canyon. Welcome. This is Jessica. This is Emily. And this is this this is Behind the Scenery. In this episode, we're exploring all the all of the different questions uh, visitors ask us here at Grand Canyon National Park. My name is Brendan Etz. My name is Kate Hensel. And we have a special guest, Jeremy. Jeremy Childs here from Interp on the Rim. Yeah, good to talk to you, Jeremy. We don't really get to talk to people on the rim that often, All right. so it's good to have you. Uh, and we were thinking about it, uh, I think out of all three of us, you've probably answered the most questions, if you counted them per, all. Per capita? Off. Yeah, per yeah. capita. Yeah. I, yeah, all the shifts working at the VC, definitely, yeah. there's. The, I miss those days, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, some days we'd have a line out the door all day long from open to close, and so... Not unusual to do five or six hundred visitors a day. Wow. And how many questions do you think that would add up to? Three or four different questions. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's, uh, you know, first time here, what do we do? And then you go through your spiel. Um, The second most question is, where's the glass walkway thing? Yeah. Um, And then, of course, uh, where's the restrooms? Big one, too. But literally, I mean, it's whenever someone asks a really good question, like, I saw this flower and they describe it to you and you're like, thank you. You're my favorite visitor of the day because because they ask something unique and and it gives you an opportunity to think a little bit and to expand your repertoire rather than just your normal spiel. Like, you know, the shuttles are free, blah, blah, blah. Well, Jeremy, we have a bunch of different questions. Uh, We pulled from a bunch of different sources, usually not as much asking where the bathrooms are, but more of an opinion. So, and you've probably heard a few of these before. Sure. Hey, you want to dive right in, Kate? Yeah, so the first question is, where's the best place to see sunset? So this is interesting because we, we really wanted to get to the bottom of this. And so we had rangers go out to every of the most popular spots, down the Hermit Road, down Desert View Drive, Mather Point, Yavapai Point here in the village. And uh, we had kind of a, 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 a bracket-style, um, uh, you know, Final Four type of thing, Sweet 16, where every couple of days we would put up a new spot and the photograph, and then the public via Facebook or Twitter would get to vote on which spot was their favorite. And our typical answer over the last few years has been Hopi Point. It's the most popular by far, not unusual to get four or 500 people out there on a good summer day. But we were thinking maybe there's something else, you know? And so we used some Northrum spots, um, Desert View, you know, all over the place. And after all of that, the one that came in first was Hopi Point. So (laughs) we gave them 16 options over the course of two weeks and the public voted and they still chose Hopi Point. So um, we can at least say, everyone's gonna have their own, obviously. I have my own, it's not Hopi Point, but I'm not gonna share my own. (laughs) (laughs) Because one of the reasons I love it is because it is secluded. Mm -hmm. And that's the great thing, you can find those near Hopi Point. You just walk along the rim trail in either direction for five minutes and all of a sudden you're by yourself and that's the beauty of it. It's real nice. but there's going to be lots of different ones. But we tell people now that it has been voted on and decided by the public that Hopi Point 
is the crowd favorite at least. Yep. I remember that was when that was decided once and for all. Yep. And But uh, were you part of that bracket, that final four? I didn't take in? any of the photographs, oh, okay. but I was voting um, mm. for sure. So the next question is another one you've heard before is how many people visit Grand Canyon per year? Uh, we had our busiest year ever just two years ago. Um, which was, I think, 6.38 million visitors. Uh, a huge number of people. Um, that's, I, honestly, that was about what we expected. Um, 2016, we thought it was going to be a, a big year, and it was not quite as big because of the centennial for the National Park Service. And then the 2018-2019 season, we thought because of our centennial as a national park, uh, but it actually ended up going down just slightly from the 6.38 in that year. So 6.38 million is the most that this park has had. And it, it has been hovering around 6 million for about a decade now. Mm-hmm. And would you say we are the most visited national park? I know, I know that's a tricky so question. That, that, yeah, that depends on who you ask. So there's a lot of different ways you can look at this. So um, Great Smoky Mountain National Park, they get uh, close to 11 million visitors a year. That said... They have a highway that goes through the middle of the park and it is oftentimes the only way to get from Tennessee to North Carolina and back. And they count every single car that drives down that as like 2.3 visitors or something in their algorithm. So that's how they get to their 11 million visitors per year. Now, how many of those people are actually getting out of their vehicles and enjoying the resource? Not sure about that. So Great Smoky Mountain National Park can say they're the most visited national park. There's also Golden Gate National Park in San Francisco. But they count every single concert, every single boat that comes up to a pier, every single, you know, it, there's, so there's, there's a lot of different ways to look at this. But if you look at people on the ground, boots on the ground visitors that are enjoying the park in a meaningful, interpretive way, um, then I would say that Grand Canyon, it's, it's typically about 2 million visitors more than its closest competitor, Yellowstone, Yosemite, Zion, those places which average between 4 and 4.5 four and million visitors a year. So. Yeah. And I think we see a very specific view because you're usually on the south room, but in the canyon, I think we've had also record numbers the last couple of years. Uh, I think the saying goes 1% out of uh, all the Grand Canyon visitors visit the canyon, but we've had a lot of rim-to-rim or rim-to-rim-to-rim runners come the last few days. Yeah, There's and we've also been too. seeing, um, as the years progress, that our rim-to-rim or rim-to-rim-to-rim season are getting longer and longer, so we're seeing more people that way, too. And talking about different ways of getting around the canyon, um, can I bike at Grand Canyon? Absolutely. It's a very bikeable park. Um, There's uh, basically about, I'm going to say, eight miles-ish on the uh, Hermit Road, and that's nice when it's closed to to traffic because it's only accessible via the buses or walking or biking. For the majority of the year from March 1st to the end of November, it's shuttle bus only on that road. And that means that you can bike it and it's so wonderful. Uh, They do ask that you pull off the road if a shuttle bus is coming, but they only come by every 15 or 20 minutes. So you basically have it all to yourself. It's a really nice paved road. You're right on the edge of the canyon. There's lots of opportunities to stop along the way and enjoy the views. Um, but it's safe. It's family fun. Uh, we do have the Bright Angel Bicycles shop here in the park, and they do a lot of uh, tours where they will take you out in a van 
and uh, they have guides that can tell you that some of the history about what you're looking at. Um, but it, it's, a, it's a historic road that dates back to the early 20th century, and it's since been improved several times. Uh, wonderful ride. There's also a greenway system that runs throughout the park, so uh, if you wanted to, you could bike just about the entire village area without ever having to touch a road. And that's important to us because uh, the drivers here, they have vacation brain. They're oftentimes yeah. distracted by animals and pretty views, and so they're not looking at the bicycles that might be on the road with them. So we've offered a, a wonderful alternative to, to riding on the roads with all the greenways that we have here. And you receive the map at the front entrance station, and all the green dotted lines, those are bicycle-friendly greenways. All the black dotted lines, those are pedestrian only. The solid black lines are roads. So we encourage you to take the greenways or one of the roads that are close to personal vehicles. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, switching over to the other rim. So over on the north rim, you can bike the bridle path, which takes you from the backcountry office area down to the visitor center. So that's a great way if the parking lot's really full and you can park somewhere else and then get down to the uh, rim views near the visitor center that way. And we also have the Arizona Trail that comes through Grand Canyon. So you can bike up to the rim on the Arizona Trail, but once you get to the canyon edge, you have to carry your bike across the canyon. Yeah. And you just told me, uh, Brendan, that you saw some people carrying their bikes this past Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I actually saw a guy about an hour ago carrying his bike. He started at the border between Mexico and Arizona about 18 days ago. And he was having a good time till it started snowing because he had a lot of snow the last two days. Uh, so he looked kind of sad because <laughs> I told him uh, there's a foot and a half of snow on the North Rim and that he has to go up through there. Yeah, But yeah, you have to carry your bike and people do it every year, uh, rim to rim with a 30 pound bike and all their stuff. Yeah. Yep. And we have had a few folks um, who missed the signs this year and end up biking all the way down to the river. And then they were told they had to haul their bike all the way back up. Yeah, so. and that's an important point to make for, for all wilderness areas. And it's not mm -hmm. just Grand Canyon, but any place you see a wilderness designation in a federal land, that means that no bicycles, no motorized vehicles are allowed anywhere in those. And so if you are riding your bike through an area, you will have to carry it through the wilderness area so mm -hmm. as to leave less impact on the uh, territory. Yep. So. Can I bring my dog, cat, or iguana to Grand Canyon? Were you there for the iguana at the visitor center um, a while ago? Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I've also seen uh, potbelly pigs. Mm -hmm. um, someone had a, a parrot on their shoulder oh, walking around the room yep. uh, not long ago. So, uh, yeah, long story short, uh, most pets are, are welcome at Grand Canyon. You ha have to have them on a leash. Um, and uh, I believe the leash cannot be any longer than six feet. Um, there are rules in place. But um, anywhere on the, on the rim of the canyon... Uh, is typically appropriate in an outdoor setting. Every building has a little different rules as to whether they allow pets inside. That said, um, just like bicycles, pets are not allowed below the rim of the canyon. So you're welcome to bring your dogs on the greenways and some of the, uh, the rim trail, absolutely welcome on that. Uh, but uh, pets of all kinds uh, are not allowed inner canyon trails. Yeah, with the exception being services, specifically service animals or livestock. Right, and, and so yes, if you, if you have a horse or a, or a mule that you feel is uh, capable of handling the terrain at Grand Canyon, then uh, 
Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Are there any special permits that are required if you're going to bring pack animals in? Uh, so Kate Hensel and I got to do a walk with a bunch of mini donkeys a few weeks ago. I've heard about that. It was pretty <laughs> awesome. Uh, I had a donkey named Winky. Uh, your donkey. My donkey was Pearl. Yeah, and with um, there are certain things if you're going backpacking uh, with your animal, uh, just like anywhere you need to get a backcountry permit from the backcountry office. But if you're doing a day hike uh, with your donkey or horse, um, you, those are, or mule, you can't, t those are the big three. You can't take uh, goats uh, and you can't take llamas, which are uh, used in other parks. Um, just let people know, because there's also mules and a lot of traffic. But you don't need a permit, but it is good to get informed before you bring a, an animal down into the canyon, because it's pretty rough in a lot of ways. It is. Now, if you're going to stay in the corridor, there are special campsites yep. for pack animals, right, that will provide a corral type of environment? Yeah, the stock sites are okay. available. Yep, great. And we and have a stock site at Phantom Ranch as well as Cottonwood. And we also have them up here on the rim at yep. the, the uh, campground here. So you could plan a whole whole trip around it. Yeah. Pretty cool. Do you want to read the next one, Jerry? What best footwear for <laughs> doing a rim to rim? Uh, what is the best footwear for doing a rim to rim? Um, well, I've done a few of them, and um, again, that's a matter of personal taste. Mm -hmm. I've seen a guy do it in flip flops, house slippers, um, chacos, slip, you know, stuff like that. I would never do that. Um, my feet would get torn up, I think, doing that kind of thing. Plus, uh, there's a lot of ankle twisters, a lot of opportunities to twist your ankle, and uh, that's no good. So um, the first time I hiked, I wore boots with kind of a taller ankle support system in place. Uh, they're a little heavier. They're all Gore-Tex and, you know, waterproof and everything, you know, and um, that was a mistake for me. Now, other people, you maybe you have weak ankles, maybe you've had ankle injuries in the past and you need that extra support, then I, I support your decision to do that. Um, for me now, I use a trail runner. Um, I don't care if it's waterproof. I prefer that it be breathable because... 99% of the time you're going to be hiking in a very dry, arid situation. Um, if it's anywhere between March and October, it's going to be hot, hot, hot in the canyon. So you want breathable material, lightweight, uh, flexible type of stuff. So that's what I go for now. That's my ideal rim-to-rim -rim footwear. Uh, but again, it's perf personal preference. And um, I support anyone wearing anything they feel safe in doing it. That's the key is... Uh, Honestly, a lot of the time when we do search and rescue operations and when we have to extract someone from uh, the canyon, uh, inappropriate footwear has been an issue in those rescues. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I would say, at least in my experience, like it is more often big, heavy boots, I would say, uh, which end up being a search and rescue or a trail response or a hiker assist. Uh, I have seen a lady in high heels and she did river and back and she was totally fine. I think that's the exception. I don't recommend that. <laughs> of course. Um, but it is interesting how all the different footwear you do see sure. down here. And I think in my experience, I've seen so many different shoes. I've memorized the tread out of a lot of them. Right. But, you know, maybe that's just says, <laughs> says my background than anything. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Kate? I, I also really like to wear trail runners for their lightness and breathability. They're mm -hmm. also nice for doing the corridor trails at Grand Canyon because it is really nice to be able to just like jump into like a creek to get cool mm -hmm. and that's like the easiest way to stay cool at Grand Canyon is to just get your body wet and it's nice not having to worry about soaking your shoes because you'll know they'll be dry in like half an hour to an hour mm -hmm. yeah but today the entire uh, top part of South Kaibab was completely iced over so 
Yeah. Keep that in mind, too. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, was, I normally wear trail runners, but I'm going to wear my nice waterproof leather boots hiking in today. With traction devices. With traction devices. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to wear micro spikes. Yep. Mm -hmm. And that's important to remember, too. If you are going to be here in the wintertime, chances are, uh, even if it hasn't snowed in a week or two, the uh, tops of the uh, trails like Kaibab and, and Bright Angel, they that ice will stay there for months. And it'll be, the, the more it gets compacted down by humans and mules walking on it, it'll it's almost like a Zamboni drives down it every single night. Because um, it gets like re-iced from the melt from the top, it kind of slicks over. And then the next morning, it's like really super slick. So uh, traction devices are really absolutely necessary if you're going to be here in the wintertime, anytime after the first snow, which we just had a couple of days ago. So yeah. I'm a big fan of trucking poles too. Trucking oh, poles. Yes. Better to have four legs than two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You're the only thing with two legs down there. Everything else is for, or I guess birds, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what is the best trail in Grand Canyon? <laughs> so hard to answer. Uh, I of the corridor trails. I think the South Kaibab is my favorite. It's just super pretty. That said, it's like really brutal to be on it uh, for most of the summer. So you really need to plan um, what time of day you're hiking and how fast you can hike on that trail but i really like that trail going off corridor um i really like like underneath uh thunder river area that's a really pretty trail yeah i would say mine is the tanner trail it was the first trail i hiked in grand canyon which is which shouldn't be your first trail in grand canyon <laughs> and i got absolutely wrecked and the last mile through the coconino sandstone i was taking naps at every end of the switchback uh, switchbacks so uh it definitely impacted me uh and it was definitely the hardest hike i've ever done but it is a beautiful trail that i have a lot of memories on it is i uh, uh like kate was saying it, it depends on the time of year and it depends on the time of day um you know and, and it also depends if you're going down or coming up that has a, a big effect on on which one you should choose as well some are longer which means they're not going to be as steep but uh, I really like the uh, the Hermit area. Um, that whole, the Hermit Basin is just amazing. There's several different trails. Uh, the Silver Bale Trail, which is a really, really old trail. Uh, if you could connect that down to Dripping Spring and then come out uh, the Hermit uh, area to Hermit's Rest, uh, that's one of my favorite day hikes to do down there. But uh, just getting all the way down there to um, the other springs, Santa Maria Springs, and then the, the, the the Cathedral Stairs. I mean, a lot of really cool stuff in there. There's a reason that they had a, a camp Mm. at that place for, for decades because it is so beautiful down there and it's not grueling um, it's challenging just enough but um, they have riprap paving on a lot of the trail so you don't have to worry about twisting your ankle too much um, you do get your trekking pole stuck in between those which I hate oh, but man. Um, like but it's scalper. it's still better than getting your your leg twisted up in that so but uh, yeah the hermit areas I just love that that area that's one of my favorite stuff and there's very few people it's kind of off the beaten path it, even as accessible as it is you won't see but a fraction of the visitors out there nice yeah on, on the other side of it is there a trail that either of you do not like beamer beamer oh why it's just you're hiking and you don't get a lot of different views for most of the length of it and it's at like that weird angle where your ankle is um always like just tilted a little bit and you're just doing that for miles I have so. the same complaint. Um, when you go down Grandview, um, you go down about a mile and a half to two miles, you hit the saddle. That's gorgeous. It's a challenging trail. It's super cool. You're kind of in awe that 
They used to take little burrows down there all the time and pull copper mining ore out of there. But then you get to that, that area between Horseshoe Mesa and the saddle, and it's just that straight right off the side, and it's, it is just slightly slanted. And so you're kind of doing this number the whole time, walking, mm. you know, kind of cocky, and um, there's not a whole lot of interesting things to look at because you're kind of in a side canyon, and it, it just, yeah, it, it, there's no shade at all. Um, and so, yeah, summertime, that's, that's definitely my least favorite couple of miles in the canyon, in this area at least. Yeah. So. I would agree with Grandview because I feel like I always almost get hit in the head by a rock every time I'm there. There's that too. Yeah, um, just like clockwork, hit a certain section of the trail, and then you hear the, the sounds of the rocks bouncing, and you're like, oh, yeah. man, I should just wear a helmet next time I hike that trail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, get, I get this one asked a lot. Uh usually by visitors, and it is, what is there to do at Grand Canyon at night? I think what they mean by this is, like, what do I do, like, after work? Like, what's, like, the Grand Canyon nightlife? And I don't think there really is any. (laughs) Again, it depends on where you are. But, yeah, normally there's a couple of pubs. There's some live music that happens at the Bright Angel Lodge sometimes. Rough Riders on the North Rim is a cool place to hang out and kind of you meet the local, you know, mixed in a little bit with the, the people that are traveling from all over the world. So it's... Um, Grand Canyon is kind of like being at an airport, um, you know, it really is, because um, you, um, you get to meet people, you know, 40% of our visitors are from foreign countries, and that's amazing, you know, you hear dozens of different languages every single day, and there are things to do, you know, the Bright Angel Tavern, El Tavar, um, Yavapai Lodge, the Yavtav, you know, that's a great place to go and meet people from all over the world, and you share your stories about your hike you did, and how tired you are, and you get to laugh at people that are doing the Kaibab Shuffle, you know, you can, those are the ones that just came out of from Phantom, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, that, there is stuff to do here normally, but um, even without the, the social aspect, there are things to do. Um, you can take a drive down Desert View and find a quiet spot and watch the Milky Way come alive, watch them shooting stars, uh, watch the, 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 the full moon come up over Shiva Temple and stuff like that. You know, So there's lots to do here at night that doesn't involve a lot of socializing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have Vegas on the brain when they come out here, because Vegas is a pretty major airport Absol- to us. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, but I would agree. Most of my evenings are looking at stars or looking at bats and yeah, not traditional nightlife stuff. Looking for scorpions with the the black. Oh, always, always. (laughs) Speaking of scorpions, how many people get stung by scorpions, and what do I do if I get stung by one? I don't know if you get this question at a time, but we get we this every day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, is this have, a scorps thing? We don't have the scorpions on the yeah. on the rim so much, so yeah. we don't. I don't think I've ever been asked about them up here. Um, certainly in the Inner Canyon, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, we get asked about them pretty often at Phantom Ranch because um, there's a lot of places there that they'll hang out. I mean, in the canyon in general, um, and it's fun after programs down there. We'll go out with a black light and look at like the good sweet spots for finding scorps, and we'll get a lot of questions then about like, what does it feel like to be stung by a bark scorpion? Which I have never been stung, but I've heard it described as having like a feeling of TV static, just like going up your arm from where you were bit or your foot or wherever. Um, but generally, it's not too dangerous to be um, stung by a scorpion. It'll be a little unpleasant, a bit painful, but otherwise uh, you don't have to worry too much about it being a life threat. With a few exceptions of really young kids, uh, that can get pretty serious quickly. Um, But you probably know more about that. Yeah, with young kids it's scary where I hear a few people say they're allergic to scorpion stings. And there's like not a ton of research about if you can 
kind of anaphylaxis through scorpion stings. Um, but kids will do this weird thing if they get stung, they'll like foam at the mouth and stuff, and that's really freaky. Um, but the only danger is if you're very, very young, old, or um, you know, have an immune deficiency um, where the scorpion sting can be very serious. Uh, that being said, um, our volunteer down at Phantom Shores uh, said you have about one in one thousand percent of one a one in one thousand chance to being stung by a scorpion because we have about one sting per week, and there's roughly one thousand people who stay uh, at Phantom between the campground, the staff, and the ranch. But I would say if you get stung, Shores told me to cowboy up or cry and feel bad for yourself. So you can, you know, go either direction, really. And, and both. Yeah. Really, yeah. Both. Yeah. yeah. They're not mutually exclusive. No, they're not. Yeah. yeah. Brennan, what's your favorite snack food to have in the canyon? Well, I don't have access to restaurants and I have eaten some pretty disgusting things <laughs> over my years. I would say the classic is mixing ramen noodles with instant mashed potatoes which is referred to as a ramen bomb many places. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I would say I also don't typically carry a stove in the canyon. I would cold soak it in like a jar of sorts, like a peanut butter jar with a lid. And I think I've horrified several people eating this weird combination of foods, but it has a lot of salt, which is very important in the canyon and also a lot of calories. Salt and carbs. Yeah. Yeah. I would not say that's a good long-term nutritional plan, but that's what I eat a lot. <laughs> yeah. I actually do like to carry a stove because I really like having tea when I'm backpacking in the morning. Uh, it's just super awesome to be able to like sit on an edge overlooking the canyon and just drink some tea. But generally for just eating, ramen's really handy to just like have emergency packs of in your bag. Um, once again, for that salt. And though it's super tricky to eat in the canyon, I do often go through the struggle of bringing chocolate down in the canyon and that, eating it and having it melt everywhere. That's high risk. It yeah. is, but yeah. high reward. Well, you're now officially in like chocolate bar season where it's not 115 all the time. My Snickers bar froze today, so that makes you feel better on your hike down. I like mm. jelly beans. That's my sugar fix when Ooh. I'm on the trails. That, that works real well because they don't, they don't typically melt, but uh, they might stick together a little bit, but flavor combination i know one ranger where she has a like a pocket where she just loosely stuffs jelly beans and skittles yep. and i think she has the caffeinated kind so yep. she's the fastest hiker i know of in the can <laughs> yep uh, plus it kind of keeps your your mouth moist you know if you have oh, something yeah. kind of suck on like that so hmm. even when it's super duper hot it, it it's oddly soothing to have something like that so i haven't hiked with jelly beans but yeah. i'll have to try it i like the sour ones Ooh. All right. Well, Jeremy, thank you so much for helping us out and answering a lot of questions. Absolutely. Have fun. Yeah. And Kate, if people wanted to ask questions, what's the best way? When the visitor center is open, that's a great place to come talk to us. Um, down in the canyon, we have contact stations as well. So that's great. And you can also reach out to us on Facebook and our other social media accounts. Um, and then you can also call the park for more general questions. The Behind the Scenery podcast is brought to you by the interpretation team at Grand Canyon National Park. We gratefully acknowledge the Native peoples on whose ancestral homelands we gather, as well as the diverse and vibrant Native communities who make their home here today. Hello, I just hiked out of the Grand Canyon, and I smell bad. Sweet. Sweet, after you.